did you hear Blanchard trying to correct me on my Transformers knowledge last week? <laughs> yes. Yes. Ew, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, son, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because 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 Neil was talking about talking about how filmation is, you know, shitty animation, and you know everyone in the room can agree with that. And um, and 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 basically, Neil says everyone knows fil- what what comes out of filmation. Neil stopped, period, at the end of the sentence and started the next sentence saying, "You know, when they animate that, uh, Optimus trying transforming." He is a new thought, a new sentence, and uh, Blanchard's like, "No, no, that wasn't that wasn't filmation." And the thing is, I knew that Neil stopped and paused. That was the end of one thought. He was starting another. because yeah, I didn't put a qualifier on the word "they." He thought that I was still talking about filmation. Yeah, and then I said, and then I said, "Well, yeah, it was Marvel Productions." Then he goes, "Well, Sunbow." And I'm like, "Son, <laughs> sit down." <laughs> <laughs> And he thinks he has he thinks he has like a defense. I can't wait for the Transformers episode because he thinks he has a defense for the rebirth. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> what it's gonna be Yeah, it's the last episode of the Transformers, one of these well, stupid episodes. Back. Yeah. And the yeah, was... Matrix, the whole thing. Oh, oh, oh well, it was it was after that. It was it, yeah. well, it was after that. Uh yeah. Yeah. the the Headmasters. The, the rebirth the rebirth makes makes the return of Optimus Prime look competent. Yeah. Although, you have just... to admit, it was the last American shown Transformers cartoon from June. Yeah, they they yeah. kind of had to rush through it, but that's not really an excuse. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, Marv Wolfman wrote The Return of Optimus Prime, but still. Yeah. And you can kind of see what his thinking was. He's like, okay, they can't just hand the Matrix over to Prime. We have to have some sort of drama here. We have to have Prime versus Rodimus Prime, and that's how they came up with the hate plague. Well, you, you know, it's uh, really funny is... I remember what one friend of mine said once about Optimus Prime versus Rodimus Prime. He said, Optimus Prime is the father you always wanted. Rodimus Prime is the drunken stepfather you never needed. <laughs> hey, I'm a big Rodimus you. fan. I think Rodimus got screwed, so. <laughs> he did, kind of. He, he, got, he got told that he was, he was going to be the new leader and like he was, he was the chosen one. And, and before you know it, the, the old guy comes back to life and just takes everything back. It's yeah, like a no matter what, for the Tonight Show. And it was right after the episode where he finally takes charge and says, "Yes, I'm the boss, and and I'm going to do things right, and we're going to go kick Galvatron's ass." And then the next episode, Prime comes back. Yeah, what's yeah. the matter, Autobot song? I saw the episode. Oh God, that is so bad. I think I think Toei purposely animated that badly because of all the all the bad yeah, Japanese yeah. stereotypes. You didn't believe me at first that it was a Toei episode. <laughs> it looked it looked Acom bad. Yeah, but the thing about Toei is they have a character model for Galvatron, and uh, Acom never follows that character model. And Toei <laughs> always does, so you always know when it's a Toei episode based on Galvatron's face or Megatron's face, because <laughs> Acom never does it right. Oh shoot! With Frank Welker doing the voice, it didn't matter. It all yeah. sounded the same anyway. Yeah, yeah, it looks yeah. the same. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever notice it. I'm like, that's just Prime. I love Prime. <laughs> yeah, Peter Cullen, great voice. Yeah, I'm glad he's doing the voices in the new movies, but man, the movies. I'm glad he's doing the voice. Well, I'm glad him and Welker are doing the voices in uh, Transformers Prime. I mean, it's not yeah. all all blessings to Gary Chalk, and I loved him as Optimus Primal, but Peter Cullen is Prime. Period. Yeah, definitely. Okay, okay I have a, I have a website that lists all the animation studios for the uh, Superman the Animated Series. Uh, let's see here: TMS, uh, Dong Ying, and the. Uh, 
Jade Animation. Jade Animation did Jade the four. Animation. Jade did an, Jade Animation did the four worst animated episodes of the series. Of the new one. Of Superman, the animated series, the okay, uh, nin- yeah. 90s series. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Dong Yang sounds like a Taiwanese sex toy. I don't know if I want to talk Dong about that. Dong Yang is a Korean name, <laughs> Tom. And you know I'm half Korean, dude. <laughs> I don't know nothing. I'm too old. <laughs> okay. Everybody ready for this? Yay! Ready. All right. Let's light this candle. Uh, hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, tonight we'll be talking about... Superman the Animated Series, going further in the DC Animated Universe. I am your host, Ben. And we're joined by our, my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. One shall stand, one shall fall. And we're joined again by Tom Revor. This is a job for Superman. And we have, again with us, our favorite guest, Kitty Hawk. Oh, thank you. Hey. Oh, no, I'm insulted. Well, oh. They say that to everyone. <laughs> And Superman the Animated Series, of course, started uh, several years after Batman the Animated Series picked up a lot of steam. It sort of snuck up on me because I just remember watching it one day and didn't realize what it was until I finally saw Superman on the screen. I'm like, wait, they're making a Superman cartoon? Because I don't remember any announcements for it. I just remember watching it first and then being hooked. Because the hardest thing you can ask a Batman writer to do is write Superman. Yeah. And somehow... Paul Dini and the host of writers that they had from Batman were able to do it. Yeah, they they definitely did a good job. I I do remember seeing a, a promo for it, but it was in Time Magazine, which is why I think no one saw it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I remember, uh, like, you know, my mom subscribed to it, and I remember, like, looking at it, and I was going, whoa, there's going to be a Superman series? That's awesome. <laughs> but then I was like, why is this being talked about in Time? Well... It was, you know, Time Warner, so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, that series just kind of snuck up on you. I, I didn't I didn't know about it a, at all until it was on, on TV. They had a couple of things beforehand, introducing the new season, uh, yeah. which had uh, Superman for the WB, kids WB, excuse me. Uh, but really, it, it was a stealth attack. It just came upon the scene with very little fanfare. Another hurdle for me was that in Chicago, Kids WB was not on the WB for, I don't know, five or six years. Oh, like some some uh, some UHF channel like snagged it before uh, before Channel Nine WGN became the WB, and so they had this contract they had to kind of sit out before they could move it onto the WB. Oh, cool! It was so weird. What? Thirty-two WFLD, if I remember correctly. Actually, it was like Channel 60 or something and had it. It was oh. it was the U. Oh, and uh, by the way, little known fact is the original character designs for Superman the Animated Series were a little different. And uh, originally, Bruce Timm was going to go for something that was completely Fleischer-inspired. It's uh, And you could tell that Bruce Timm was definitely inspired by Max Fleischer just by looking at oh, Batman. Oh, yeah. But oh, he, the Lois Lane is almost a dead giveaway. I mean, yeah. Very Fleischer-ish. <laughs> It's very rounded, like Fleischer, not like the angular style that Warner was using at that uh, Warner Brothers was using at that time. Yeah, and you know, I I don't know why they changed it the last minute, but they did change it at the last minute, and a lot of other details were changed. Like originally, they were going to have the golden S on the back of the cape, but oh man, but the problem but that was been, that would have been hard to animate. Oh yeah, oh yeah, especially. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially. And I think I think the reason they went with the angular look was wasn't didn't Batman and Robin come out about that time? Uh, no, this was when they actually retooled the series for uh, you know Batman with the new Batman Adventures, but the new Batman Ooh, Adventures yeah. never had its own intro. Interesting fact is this: Superman has an intro, but very few people seen it more than once or twice mm-hmm. because it only aired for like three months with the intro because then Warner brothers packaged Superman and Batman, the animated series together to be the, the Batman Superman show. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. That had its own combined intro. Oh, okay. They had to have a Superman intro because you already had a Batman intro. And when you started syndicating them, you could just toss the original Batman intro onto the new episode. Yes. Whereas you had to have something original for Superman. Yeah. And it did, it did come back for cartoon network. Yeah. uh, Yes. Later on. I think they went with the angular look so it would mesh well with Batman so that the styles wouldn't like be totally jarring, I guess, to say, hey, they're in the same universe. Yeah. And, yeah I mean, uh, you know that when they did when they started doing Superman, you know, they had to have in mind somewhere down the line, there had to be a world's finest. There would oh, have yeah. to be crossovers. And yeah. if you had the jarring conflict in animation styles, it wouldn't have worked. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would have. And also, you know, they continued it into Justice League. And then that's why when Batman Brave and the Bold came out, it just had a totally different art style. And I was I was kind of happy, but also kind of weirded out because it wasn't the same angular style they had been using for years. Yeah, the Bruce Timm style was was no no more there. But yeah. the interesting thing to me is, you know, when they finally did World's Finest, great episode, by the way, they had that they actually did all three parts with TMS. So that probably cost them a pretty penny. Oh, but, yeah. But it was definitely worth it to have TMS two, three, three, all three parts because if they cheaped out and did like one of the parts with Don Yang, and Don Yang was pretty damn good at times, it still would have been obvious. But all three parts are done by TMS. And a little note, little note, mm-hmm. in World's Finest Part Two, where Superman is wearing the radiation suit and he flies Lois and Batman out of out of a building. TMS originally animated that scene wrong. How how they animate it? They had Batman fly him out. Oh, it's nice. kind, of, it's kind of a weird uh, interpretation that the ja- only the Japanese could do that. Well, I mean, it, that, Batman's more well known there. I well, Batman that. had a cape, and they thought cape equals fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and what like, happened? It's like Mario Brothers. <laughs> and what happened was this. What happened was this. Bruce Tim got this animation from TMS. TMS does expensive animation. He sent it back and told them to do it again. Yeah. Marvel Animation would not do that. No. Well, but but it's also just probably a cultural thing. They just thought, like you said, it's probably like cape equal flying. But, yeah, I remember, re- I remember watching the Paul Dini um, commentary, and every time TMS did an episode, he was, like, salivating. You could just hear him just slurping because he's just like, oh, my God, did you see what they just did there? Well, TMS is really good at adding adding a lot of weight and depth to what Superman does, and they oh, yeah. really try to save the really big Superman moments for a TMS episode. Oh, they, yeah. they they even rode around that that way. I remember Teeny said that, but really, <laughs> but really, it's other things I remember from this series was they you know Bruce Tim worked really hard. Bruce Tim, a big Jack Kirby fanboy, mm-hmm. he popularized he popularized the Fourth World. Oh yeah, for a whole new generation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you, you've got you have to admit, Kirby created one of the quintessential cosmic villains. Oh in yeah. Dark Side. Oh yeah. I, by the way, little aside, 
Mm-hmm. Anybody who hasn't read it, go find the Great Darkness Saga. The okay. original one. Yes. Uh, Legion of Superheroes. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Yes. But uh, back to Superman. Michael Ironside voicing Darkseid. The design, straight Kirbyism in animation. It's so beautiful. It's so great. Yeah, you want, oh, yeah, you want a, I mean, you want a badass voice, Michael Ironside was it. Uh, we talked last time about the casting, which uh, DC animated Animation did. I, you couldn't have gotten anybody better to do Darkseid than Michael Ironside. Oh, yeah. And what about Dana Delaney for Lois Lane? Wow. I mean, it's, I mean, who would have thought Tim Daly for <laughs> Superman? I know. That's great. But and it, it absolutely worked. And oh, by the way, something that they invented for the series that later carried into the comics, but didn't make sense in the comics when they carried it in. But in the in the in the cartoon, Lois Lane had a snarky little nickname for Clark Kent. Yeah. Smallville. Smallville. Yeah. And she, yeah, I love this Lois. And she made a point to call Clark Smallville in that snide conniving Smallville way. That just that that so said that she thought he was a country bumpkin. <laughs> that, you know, th- when the comics introduced it, Lois is already married to Ca- Clark. And why are you introducing it now? They're married. I know. That makes no sense. Except maybe, like, well, it's retro- retro-conning it. Like, hey, the animated series. Yeah, call like- your husband Smallville doesn't exactly make him feel yeah, happy. I know. That, but that's just, like, I don't get I don't get that. That's just weird. Well, now they're starting the universe over. They can uh, just kind of slip that in there. Uh, oh, why are they doing Don't even mention that. But the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Is, like, Superman, like, uh, like a cyber monster now? Because I looked at that cover, and it, I... I I don't know what to think. I don't but, know what's going on. That's well, well, I know that he doesn't have any well, junk. I know that. Cause like, I'm looking at like, so apparently under the underoos, there was nothing because man, that is flat. Let me, <laughs> let, me this, let me pull this stuff up. And you really, you're making Larry Niven cry now. <laughs> I mean, it does look like, it looks like he's flat. Let me, let me see where this is. Like I, I had this like saved cause it was just ridiculous. <laughs> But other things that they changed, uh, one thing I liked was this was back when DC had the mandates that Superman had to be the last survivor of Krypton. So what I loved was the approach on how to do Supergirl. They, Bruce Timm came up with this idea that the Kryptonians were actually quite advanced and were beginning, beginning, to, do, beginning to become a star-faring race. They weren't traveling yeah. far in the stars, but they terraformed the Krypton sister planet Argos and Argos was pushed by the blast further from the sun and eventually froze. Uh, Kara, Kara's name was Kara LZ, I believe, and mm-hmm. she was she was she was in cryogenic f- suspension on Argos. And Superman went to the Krypton system to look if there were any signs of life, and he found her. And that's how they came up with a uh, with a version of Supergirl that's not Kryptonian. And by the way, little minor little minor uh, Easter egg in. Little Girl Lost, the Supergirl episode, they have Al Roker cameoing as himself. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> and they also gave her a costume that made a lot of uh, older Superman, Supergirl fans faint a little. <laughs> a white t-shirt. And, yeah, well, that went around. It's one that... That went along with the redesign of uh, Supergirl in the comics at the time as well. Yeah. Peter David, I believe. Yes. Yeah, they wasn't. Yeah, Midriff, uh, Supergirl. <laughs> yep. Yeah, 
I didn't. I don't really like Midriff Supergirl all that much. I actually like the classic Supergirl with the skirt and the full uh, leotard. I never really liked Midriff Supergirl. I thought it was yeah, an interesting gotta... way to mix it up. It was. It was. It was definitely an interesting way to mix it up. It's me. I mean, I don't. Not you know. It's not like I hate it. It's just like. Eh. It's sort of very, it's very 90s, I guess, is the way to put it. It kind of skews her younger. Yeah, and that, that, that's another thing, you know. Like, is well, she old? Like, is she? <laughs> yeah, it looked to me like it was just a thrown together. It's like the current thing that they were doing with Superboy, you know, yeah. T-shirt and pants. I mean, that's what anybody could wear. No. Hey, this is radical, <laughs> man. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. I was just like, wow, you're trying to make this look hip. I mean, it's like. Superman with the long hair, but I love I love the character herself just by herself without without any of the extras. I thought she was a really fun character. Oh yeah, I like that Supergirl. And uh, another episode we were talking about girls together working great on the Batman episode. There was an episode of Superman. I don't know exactly if you call this a Batman or a Superman episode because it was back when they were airing it as you know the Batman Superman Hour, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Girls' Night Out, they had Supergirl and Batgirl team up against Harley, Ivy, and Livewire. Another character <laughs> created for the co- created for the cartoon later migrated to the comics, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Didn't Paul Dini create her? Or something yes, like? I believe yeah. so. Yeah, because yeah, he cre- he's actually created a lot of the female characters from the animated series, both Batman and Superman. Or and was there was there any lesbian subtext in this episode? Well, the end of the episode had uh, Kara and Barbara wearing bathrobes, watching TV with their hair up, <laughs> eating ice cream. Oh, I'm going to have to find this one. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, back at the lair, Poison Ivy, Harlequin, and, um, and Livewire are all licking each other's wounds. <laughs> or I, just, I just always love... A lot love... of injuries to the inner thigh. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's a, it's a really fun episode, and... Uh, like I said, this was around the time that, you know, the series were blurring so much because this was such a continuous universe now that, that you know, they had the Batman-Superman intro, so they really didn't need to say which episode this was because they had an episode called Nighttime where Superman, in a full, you know, in a, in a full nod back to a Silver Age story, Superman poses as Batman. Oh, man. I they do remember this They each other all the time back in the Silver Age. It's That's probably, right. I mean, Oh yeah, that can't be, Clark Kent can't be Superman. There, Superman right there, and Clark Kent's right beside me. <laughs> yeah, there's that, a lot of examples of that on Super Dickery. <laughs> See, that's why Batman flew in the one episode, Ben. They could have explained it that way. It was Superman cosplaying. Oh man, speaking of Super Dickery and uh, Superman animated series, did you all see the uh, Brave and the Bold that had Superman? Yes. Yes. Oh my God, that was excellent. That was- I miss. I love uh, Brave and the. Oh, believe me, this was a throwback to the best of. And I use the term loosely, best of the Silver Age crossovers. It was. They had to have gone through Super Dickery and chosen some of the best things for scenes. The covers. Time. They did the covers. Like if you look at yes. the frames and then you go look at the covers, they're just the covers. It's like they said, "Okay, we're doing a Superman ep- episode, and we're just going to have an homage to Super Dickery and the Silver <laughs> I mean, Age." The- from the they had some of Jimmy Olsen covers. Uh, I mean, oh man, Jimmy oh, man, Olsen swap bodies with an ape. It, well, like they, uh, well, King Superman. Oh my god! <laughs> what about Pope Superman? Yes. 
Well, they even had oh, a thing like uh, Jimmy giving him a bath uh, robe, a smoking jacket, and he burns it with his heat vision. Oh, yeah, I love that one, where, where yeah, it gives I mean, him a gift. Oh, man, this is my favorite Super Dickery right here. They didn't actually do this one. I wish they had, but I understand that bringing in Aquaman would have been uh, a little hard, but it's it's a Jimmy Olsen, and it's got Jimmy Olsen and Aquaman dying of thirst in a desert, and <laughs> Superman is holding a pitcher of water above them and says, sorry, Jimmy, the ground rules allow only one survivor. You were Aquaman. <laughs> well, and they even had a brief scene in there where Mixelplick uh, comes in and just starts zapping Jimmy into every odd form he had ever oh, transformed yeah. into. Including the giant turtle monster? Including, I'm trying to remember, but I think they did have something about the giant turtle monster in there somewhere. But uh, back to the Superman the Animated Series, we, t- we mentioned Mr. Mixia Spitlick. Uh, perfect voice for him in Superman the Animated Series. The most annoying voice in existence, and the former uh, Affleck duck, Gilbert Gottfried. Yep. I love, I love, I love his girlfriend Gisby. I think that's another Paltini creation. Uh, no, I think that had to have been uh, Bruce Tim. Although I mean, she was definitely a Bruce Tim design. I know. <laughs> I just really think that I, I think that Paltini added her into the script because he's like, oh, because he's like, you know, Joker has a hot girl so Mixia Spitlick has to have a hot girl and by the way another creation of the for the cartoon that Layer made in the comics Lex Luthor's chauffeur Mercy oh, yeah. Mercy yeah. oh man speaking of that the Lex Luthor design in the animated series has got to be my favorite of all the Lex Luthor designs I mean Matthew Brown oh perfect sexy yes sexy from a straight guy so yeah I mean like you just gotta, you're like, I don't care what you're doing, Lex. Just, just sit there, be evil and sexy. Uh, I mean, I'm I, sorry. I could think of three people who I would just love to sit and listen to them read the telephone book. I mean, you've got Peter Cullen, Optimus Prime. You've got mm-hmm. Clancy Brown, Lex Luthor, and you've got um, uh, no, no, I can't think of. I was gonna make a joke there, but never mind. Time has passed. Okay. Um... <laughs> Well, going back to the first episode, Last Son of Krypton, I like a lot of things they did with the continuity. They went with a lot of the look from the controversial John Byrne uh, uh, Man of Steel, which, by the way, is so bashed and doesn't deserve it because other than the Krypton parts, everybody else I know that loves the Silver Age said that he got everything else right. So stop bashing on Man of Steel. You know, who cares about Krypton? Krypton's in the past. But anyways, in Last Son of Krypton, they did a great job of intercoursing inter- those uh, those awesome John Byrne designs and also making Jor-El a little bit of an action hero. Well, see, I love the fact that it, it kind of blended both the Silver Age Krypton and the, quote, modern Krypton, the John Byrne Krypton of the time. Yeah. It wasn't one or the other, but it was a wonderful mix of them, enough to make everybody happy. Yes, and uh, like I said, I love that they made Jor-El a little bit of an action hero, like you know, like Doc Savage. You know, he's a scientist, but he's also a little bit of an action hero. Well, and, he was yeah. in the comic books too. Yeah, uh, you know, the World of Krypton series, four issue miniseries, uh, had him as a bit of an action hero. In fact, that's how he met Lara, his wife. And I love Laura. She had a British accent. I wish I knew who the voice actress was for her, but I think it added enough of an eerie beauty to her character that I thought it was brilliant. And another thing I loved about what they did with Krypton was what 
where else but a bad Hollywood script for an aborted Superman movie would you have Brainiac come from the same planet as Superman and and try to play it straight? Where else but a bad Hollywood script? And Bruce Tim took this idea that later became the basis of all these really bad scripts for Superman Lives that ne- were never shot with the kung fu fighting and all that. And he made it work. Yeah, it, it, it really does work. Yeah. I mean, it make well, it also makes the keeping um, the city of Candor under glass will make a little more sense. Like, it's sort of like, well, I'm preserving the species that created me. That's yeah. why it's so important. And I also love the part where what they did with the, with the Fortress of Solitude was pretty much the only way to get in is to, sleep, to swim beneath sub-freezing water. None of this giant key stuff. I know lots of people love the giant key, but... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 uh, Finola Hughes was the, um, voice of, uh, Laura in the Superman animated series. Oh. And Christopher yeah. McDonald did the voice of Jor-El. Yeah. And speaking of, uh, speaking of other voice actors, Metallo, Malcolm McDowell. Uh, yeah, another great, great villain voice. And he had such gr- good voice actors. And another great classic villain. It's, it's just... I I love it. I love how they did Metallo in that series. Oh yeah, I, I love the fact that they the, it was a wonderful redesign. I mean, in the Silver Age comics, Metallo was a thug that Lex Luthor put in a robotic body. Whoop de doo. Here, <laughs> a mercenary, a known killer, and just the subtle way that they got him to go from that to becoming Metallo by poison, Lex Luthor poisoning his food. That was absolutely brilliant. That is a scheming Lex Luthor thinking four, five, six, seven moves ahead. Yes, and in the end, it's and in the end, you know, when he realized he can't feel even a touch anymore, and that drives him crazy. Oh yeah, that was wonderful. Yes, and it added it added human, humanity and personality to a third-rate throwaway character. And another character that uh, Toy Man. Freaking oh, toy man. They made I know. Him creepy. They made him yeah. awesome. I mean, he has that he has that weird voice with the lisp and 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 the creepy doll head, and he lo- sort of waddles. It's so creepy. It's so I creepy. Toy man. They went from just a fat man, a fat old man, to being something that really turned you. I know. Just the, uh, uh, and it wasn't Mad Flash or Chucky. It was really off the wall in a cold way. And another another character that they that they had in the series was Mister Manheim. I loved how they kept on introducing Mister Manheim and how it eventually tied to the Fourth World. Yep. And really, Voiced by Bruce White from Hill Street Blues. Oh yes. And really. Like I said, I, I just am amazed that, you know, there's so much in the Superman mythology. I'm sort of glad that Bruce Tim decided to tackle the fourth world and really go go at it. Yeah. Because, not, not... But at the same time, I'm sort of sad at the same time because who's who's used all the time now in the comics and in these animated movies now? Darkseid. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Superman's beating Darkseid so often now that you can't take him credible anymore. Well, it goes through, I mean, I, I love the fact that they brought the fourth world in because the dynamic of Superman versus Lex Luthor, it was, it's basically brains versus brawn. Right. Dark side was power versus power. 
yeah. meeting Superman on an equal level or actually a superior level because Darkseid was always more powerful than Superman. And that's something they never shied away from showing that Darkseid could kill Superman with a thought if he wished to. But he had other plans because that's not part of his getting the what was it the um the anti life uh, equation yeah the anti life equation I'm sorry whenever I think of the anti life equation it's just it's so ridiculous it's awesome well the biggest thing with the with the fourth world I'm going to go into a little tangent here is uh, uh-huh. is is Jack Kirby was really embracing you know the whole idea of uh, of uh, freedom and hippies back when he created it and uh, oh, yeah. the idea the idea was that you know, was freedom is not order. Freedom is not order. Freedom is freedom. And the idea is dark side's all about order, order and, uh, order and strict rigidness. And that's the idea, you know, the new gods embraced, embraced the uh, freedom. And that's why every new God is dressed differently. And each one looks so off the wall, different from each one of them. Well, you know, you look at, you look at all the uh, characters from apocalypse, they all shape, share the, this dark motif. They all don't look alike, obviously, because if you look mm-hmm. at Baron, under what's the name under god you know the, the one that talks like a, a german baron under yeah. got, tom you're supposed to help me on this yeah i'm not understanding what you're trying to say you know you, <laughs> you know you know the character anyways and you you know obviously they all look a little different underling yeah and no but they all yeah, have they this all, dark motif they all use the same a similar color palette they all had a relatively similar look yeah, it was. I mean, the the new Genesis were all the beautiful people. Yeah, yeah, with, the, the new gods uh, and all that. Right, and they were. Then they threw in the whole thing of the. Uh, and this is comics, not animated series, uh, where they kept the peace between New Genesis and uh, Apocalypse by High Father, the leader of New Genesis, and Dark Side, leader of Apocalypse, trading sons. Yep. Which is how you got Orion with the new gods, and you got Mister Miracle over on Apocalypse. And I got to admit, except he's not there for long. <laughs> I got to admit, you know, when I first saw the series, and I didn't, knew no, nothing about the Fourth World, but I quickly learned. It just, just by the way, Calabac looked with the beard. I thought Calabac was High Father's son, but that was because <laughs> I was stupid and I didn't read the comics. Yeah, I, I, I had the I, I thought that too when I first saw him, but then. I had a friend say, no, no, that's not him. That's not yeah. him. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, that first threw me. And, um, you know, we talk about the characters that, on the Apocalypse. What about, uh, what about the, the female Furies? Oh, yeah. yeah. And little known, little known fact is, actually, I think this is not a little known fact, pardon me, but they really heavily hinted at the, last, the, the series finale, Legacy, they heavily hinted that Superman was having a sexual relationship with Lashina. Mm-hmm. Really? I swear when they were. Superman was brain, yeah, when Superman was brainwashed to believe he was the son of Darkseid, they definitely had something going on between Lashina and uh, Kal-El. Yes, and I'm glad that Tom agrees with me there because they, they so... Oh, it, was, it wasn't subtext. It was very overt that there was something going on between them. Yeah. And I, I also loved Granny Goodness. Oh, I love Granny Goodness. I, I still can't believe... I, mean, I, I, can, I know it mentally, but... The voice of Granny Goodness was such an odd casting that worked. <laughs> the voice of Granny Goodness in the animated series was Ed Asner. I know. <laughs> and I that's mean, just perfect. <laughs> yeah, it works so well. It, I can't think of anybody else's Granny Goodness now other than Ed Asner. Yeah, I mean, it's just so perfect. The voice is just, oh, man. 
very gruff, very masculine, and yet he was able to bring it up into a different register enough to where it sounded like, like a woman. Like a really tough woman. Yes. Yeah, I love Granny Goodness. She's like one of my favorite of the Apocalypse characters. I mean, she is just deliciously evil. And enjoys being evil. I know, that's why I love her. I mean, <laughs> oh man, like, uh, what was it? The one that had, uh, the animated movie that had Big Barda in it recently. And uh, there were some scenes of Granny Goodness and Big Barda together. And I was just loving every moment of it because I and love Big Barda. Big Barda is actually based partially on Jack Kirby's own wife. Oh man, that makes it even more awesome because yep. like, Big Barda is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Well, since you open the door, you have to mention one of my favorite characters, period, of the animated series, and that is Terrible Dan Turpin. I love Dan Turpin. You know what? They totally they, changed his design for the animated series, but I don't care exactly. because they made him look like Jack Kirby. And that's exactly <laughs> why they did it. He was an homage to Kirby, and it just, everything, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And like I said, it's just, it's just so funny that they did that, but I love it at the same time in... You know, the thing is, Superman the Animated Series was a lot more consistent animation studio-wise than uh, Batman the Animated Series was, because Batman had episodes done by lots of different people, lots of different places, but... Uh, well, you, you know, have to keep in mind that uh, at that time, Warner Brothers still wasn't that big of an animation studio. Like, Yeah, yeah they were still building up, yeah. Yeah, because they'd only done, like, Animaniacs, I think, prior to that. Tiny Maybe Toons, actually. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. They did Tiny Toons, and then they did Animaniacs after that one. Yeah, but, but you also have to look at the uh, risk involved. I mean, Batman, the animated series, was a risk. So oh, yeah. by the time that they did Superman, Batman was a known quantity. It was a success. So, therefore, you could lead into that with Superman. Oh, yeah. You know that would be a success. You could spend the money on it. Well, and, yeah, and also, like, with the Batman animated series, I know that they didn't take it as seriously, because, like, they didn't even, like, get, like... I think they only used the Danny Elfman theme, and that was it. the rest was written by someone else. Uh, so Shirley Walker yeah. and Don't You Dare Down Talk Shirley Oh, no, 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 no. No, I was about to say, I actually prefer her work. I actually and, do. And little known, and you know what? That's the thing. They they wrote the Danny Elfman theme early on in Batman the Animated Series, and then it quickly, and then it subtly, but su subtly, but eventually became pretty much all Shirley Walker. Yeah, and, and Superman. I better yeah and superman they never used the john williams theme they came with their own superman fanfare and i actually like the superman fanfare a little bit more john williams yeah. theme it's it's iconic you love it but but it sounds like every other john williams yeah. theme this this year at least actually kind of captures the feeling of superman at that time because like they were it was not quite the american he wasn't quite the american hero anymore now he was like everyone's hero yeah. So took out a little bit of the horns, I guess. And, uh, and yet it also still went through. I mean, again, the contrast between Batman and Superman, the two series. Oh, yeah. Batman, the look, much darker. The music was very low, bass and baritone level. Mm -hmm. Very moody. Superman, bright colors, bright horns, much higher range on the music. You immediately oh, yeah. knew that this was more action. This was more a brighter future. Than it's you an optimistic future. Yeah, yeah, like Batman is the eternal slog and Superman is the let's go to tomorrow. Yay. And uh, by the way, the three studios were Dong Yang, TMS, and Jade Animation. Jade Animation did the four worst animated episodes 
of I've the never, whole series. Never even heard of Jade Animation. Jade Animation did Little Hit, Big Headman, Superman's Pal, A Fish Story, which was Knockman's story, and uh, Unity. And Unity was totally a Cthulhu esque episode that was weird. It was a Supergirl episode. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a throwaway episode where they didn't have Clark in it. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. where uh, Alien comes over and starts taking over the minds of Smallville and has to fight Supergirl. Yeah, it was a weird episode. Yeah, but well, would you say it was the worst four episodes? You, because I, I don't remember them really being that bad. It's just like the least good. Well, I would say. least. Good of the Superman series as a whole. Yeah, yeah, because uh, there was nothing in this show that was even close to being Acom bad. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And uh, let's see here, lots of other great episodes. Uh, another character they created for the animated series. I don't think she ever, she ever uh, migrated to the comics. But the woman with the firepower, voiced by Roz from uh, Frasier. What's her name again? Uh, Volcana. Volcano. Barry Gilpin. I have the cast list right in front of me. I'm trying to find it. Yeah, voiced by Barry Perry Gilpin. Yes. And yeah, yeah she was an original series, uh, original character for the uh, animated series. Yes, she was. And my fa- another, you know what? Superman was able to do a lot of lighthearted moments. And w- one episode I loved that was very lighthearted, very funny for me, was actually Warrior Queen, where they had Maxima. Oh, see, I, I mean, I knew the character from what they had done in DC, in the comics itself, and I hated that episode, especially since it featured one of the worst characters that I despise beyond anything else, and that's Lobo. Oh, <laughs> that's I, got, I, got, I love Lobo. Lobo was only oh, in the no. last last minute, but I love what they did with Maximum, because they had this whole scene where Maximum is fighting Superman, and there's a woman watching out of windows shouting, Harry, a man and a woman are fighting, and Harry's <laughs> still reading the newspaper, he says, stop spying on, Mar- uh, stop spying on the neighbors. I love this. Actually, I'm looking at her character design right now, and it's actually really cool. It well, actually had a scene where she's in the bath, and she gets up on the bath, and all she's wearing is, like, this, this veil. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> And I don't understand why Tom doesn't like this episode. Well, I think he said Lobo, but I like Lobo. Lobo's ridiculously 80s. I mean, yeah. Well, n- more 90s than 80s. I mean, Yeah, late, well, I mean, like, he, he was high, but, late uh, 80s. Late 80s is, like, about when he, well, he appeared in early 80s, but I think he's more of a late 80s kind of guy. Well, he was created in the late 80s in the uh, Legion of Superheroes yeah. comic by Keith Giffen and Paul Levitt. Uh, but he became the parody of a parody that he is now, uh, definitely in the mid to late 90s. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, that's fine. Lobo's a kind of stupid character, so let's do some stupid things with I, I love, I love his voice actor. I love how he kept on saying, fragging, frag, frag, fragging, fragging. Because <laughs> <laughs> why I just, not? I just love how it was so ridiculous and how they were unapologetically ridiculous with Lobo instead of trying to treat him like an actual real threat. Well, that's why they the Superman episode of Brave and the Bold is like that, because it's like Lobo and Superman are kind of, well, high-powered and also kind of ridiculous in any other story. Like, Lobo is a ridiculous character, and Superman in any other story is kind of ridiculous, if you think about it. Because it's like, he could just punch the problem. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Superman's I, problems I, 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 fixed. I mean, Batman's problems. 
Oh, and knowing uh, the voice who did the voice of Lobo, I can't help but wonder if Bibbo did something in his travels to create Lobo. I love Bibbo because Bib because they did a little bit, not much, but li- they added a little bit of Popeye to to Bobo. Hey, he's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, they added a little bit of Popeye to to Bobo to where you could see it and you could tell that you know Bruce Tim did that just because he has such a he has such a man crush on Fleischer Studio. Oh man, yep. Lobo was uh, voiced by Brad Garrett. You know Robert from Everybody Loves Raymond. Raymond, Raymond, Raymond. I, I miss Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love how ridiculous the character design for Lobo in the animated series is. Like that's just yeah. that is just ridiculous. And, and by the way, the commentary on on that episode with Lobo with. The, the main man part one and two with the preserver, when the preserver got all big, the commentary for that part's hilarious because, because the, because the commentaries are like, Oh yeah, that's one of Murakami's creatures. It, it would probably look more at home on teen Titans. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. It's just so funny. It's, I, I know that I know half the time Merc Glenn is actually sitting in the room with them when they're doing this to him. Yeah, I know. Well, Teen Titans is pretty bad. So <laughs> I know. I just, I just love how they do this. And, and well, it's, it's, it's like on Family Guy when, um, when Seth MacFarlane makes fun of Seth Green and uh, Robot Chicken. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like I'm going to rag on you because this is my show. I just pat him on the head and buy him an ice cream bar or something. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it's just really funny because it's just the first time that Glenn had had a storyboarding credit. That when they show the credits, they're like, "Oh, look at that! That's his first credit." <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> Stands up. You guys suck. I'm going away. <laughs> yeah, he takes it like a champ. Takes it like a champ. No, I, I haven't ever heard him like get mad about. It, so maybe he, he's actually a, maybe he's a class act. I hope he is. But speaking of class acts, uh, I I wish I have I had the chance to meet Jack Kirby. I just want to say that because every story I ever heard of him from people that I knew that met him, that man was a class act through and through. Oh yeah, he, he was not more a, than a class act. He was a regular guy. Well, he was. I mean, he was not afraid. The best I can give. He was not afraid to give uh, a, an eighteen-year-old struggling comic artist that was in the big city for the first time, send a taxi for him to pick him up, bring him in, feed him sandwiches, and talk to him about the comics he was working on. He was not. He was. He he would do that to oh, a total yeah. stranger, and and the man's a class act. And in my opinion, in my opinion, the the true heir to Kirby's talent and you know ability and class actness, at least to me, is Walt Simonson. Because every conversation I had with Walt Simonson, White Walt Simonson never treated me as anything else but you know. I completely agree. I mean, again, Walt always struck me as a regular guy. I mean, he does comic books. He does a kids thing, quote unquote, for a living. It's like people who play baseball, and rather yeah. than getting full of himself with it, he realizes, hey. It's a job. I enjoy doing it, and I'm glad to help other people out. There's no big deal about it. Yeah. And Kirby, Kirby was definitely that way from everything I've heard. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, you know, Walt Simonson, I think, is Jack Kirby's heir, and I think his Orion series was the best continuation of the fourth world ever done, and everyone else who ever attempted it failed. I'm sorry. You failed. <laughs> and uh, But moving back to Superman... I did love what they did with Orion in the series. He never really got a chance to really, really fight, but the times he did, 
it was awesome. And well, they never really got into the duality that Orion had with it, and that was one thing I was kind of sorry to have not seen. Yeah. But there's really no way you could have done it justice and his entire backstory justice in a half an hour. Absolutely. And really, Superman, this was around the time when, you know, Batman's such a solo character, it's hard to do a crossover or introduce another superhero from the DC Animated Universe. We talked about this last time. In the original Batman the Animated Series run, there was only one crossover hero that Neil Sally did not remember <laughs> until we reminded him. Yeah. Satana. But yeah. in Superman, they they did so many crossovers. They they actually had an episode with, with Green Lantern Kyle Rayner. Yep. Oh, Although yeah. they did have a cameo by Hal. Yes, they had. They had a, and they also the art samples that uh, Kyle had rejected from him, rejected from DC Comics. Those are all actually drawings by, by uh, Gil Kane, I believe. Whoa! Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to go back and watch that. Watch that episode again now. Gil Kane, another class act. Let me just yeah, say that. God right rest there. his soul. Yeah, I, I I loved Gil Kane's work, and from what every, everything I heard from people who knew him, he was an amazing man. Yeah, and you know, I would these were people I would have loved to have met. Yeah, there's um, there's tons of people I wish I had met too. Like, uh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm no, yeah. no, 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 no. I mean, I understand. I understand. No, no I'm, I'm actually tearing up a little bit here because uh, the man yeah. I knew that knew all these people was my mentor and oh, a dear friend of mine. He he died a couple of years back. Sorry. No, it's okay, man. I understand. Right. That's. I mean, he meant a lot to you, and these people meant a lot to you to mean a lot to you as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I, That's I don't. What like... the current regime is doing is such a yeah. tragedy because you've got sixty years, almost seventy years of history, and all these great people who put so much into it, and it's just kind of being trashed. Language yeah. pissed away. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my mentor left in the eight. 1980 because of the 80s as a as a as a decade what they did to the oh yeah because uh, yeah. I, I I hate dropping his name because I don't want to sound like I'm trying to ride on his success to bring about my name further and I I rarely drop his name but he he, he was uh he was Wayne Howard he he worked at Charlton Comics he he did work for uh, Marvel as well he knew he knew all these guys he he knew. Jack Kirby, he knew he was a student of Wally Woods, and he loved these superheroes so much. He watched this. He watched this series with me. He he watched this series with me, and he kept on talking about how much he loved this series. Yeah, and that that's why that's why this series is so important to me. It's you know this this was a man that that mm. I, I just loved so much, and I just feel so so sad that he's gone now. He you know, but he he at least saw a little bit of the comics he loved, the era he loved in Superman the Animated Series. He, so, and I think that that pretty yeah. much sums up what was so great about it. I mean, I can you look at the animated animated series versus the C series that came after it, and there was so much love for everything that was incorporated: Superman, Batman, the Justice League, the characters in there. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. That was what it was. It wasn't the seriousness that crept in in the 80s. Right. It was fanboys writing the characters they knew and loved rather than having to recreate them. The Mm -hmm. Batman suffered from bad writing because they wanted to recreate Batman. Yep. 
and you can't, you can't just do something in your own image. Which yeah. <clears throat> brings us back to the current DC situation, but that's another story. Yeah, 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 yeah. But back back to Superman. That's a, sorry, yeah, for, a, sorry a for the tangent. No, no, no. He was a a, a unaba- is an unabashed fanboy. Oh yeah, I I really haven't seen anyone have so much love for the characters like that since Roy Thomas when he got to write Justice Society. Yeah. And another episode I that they loved that I loved was. Uh, Wow, it's My Girl, animated by TMS, Lana Lang. This was actually the only episode my mentor had a problem with uh, because he said, and I quote, this is like turning Betty into Veronica. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can definitely see that. But I also like the fact that it was not really Clark who became Small Town Boy Does Good, but Lana. And that Lana knew his secret all along. And I also love, I just love the end where... Where Lana is leaving, Lana is leaving to go to Paris, and she's talking to to talking to Clark, and she says, "I hope you find someone who's going to be kind and understanding." And in the background, <laughs> Lois yells, "Hey, Smallville, get your butt over here!" <laughs> and yet, you got—I I love the fact that they kind of played that on its ear in a later episode, the late Mister Kent, where Clark Kent is quote killed. And he gets out of it because he's been unconscious from the explosion and has been staying with Lana Lang all this time, supposedly. And Lana just gets to turn the knife a little bit to Lois. And Lois definitely feels it. I, I just love the fact that this was a... Late Mr. Kent was a great episode because I'm just going to praise the writing team for this one thing because the death penalty is so overly you know, politicized. And this is a cartoon, a, a, an afternoon cartoon that has... A, that has that's about executing a criminal and they never say, no, you can never execute somebody. And, you know, it's no secret that 90% of the writers in Hollywood are leftist. I was yeah. going to say progressive just to be polite, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Polite gets you nowhere. That's political correctness. Okay. Well, but, uh, but, and they never, they yeah. never, they never sat, sat, they never got on their soapbox and preached about the death penalty. They just treated it as an ongoing process that that's just what it is. And right. that, Superman didn't break the guy he thought was innocent out of jail. Clark Kent went through as a reporter to find the evidence that was necessary. That's correct. And yeah. in the I mean, end, what happens at the end? Yeah, the, the real bad guy who killed these people who tried to kill or would have killed Clark, the bad cop, is convicted, is sentenced to death, and does get executed. Exactly. And doesn't he figure out? Yeah, <laughs> he figures out Superman's secret identity as he's being executed. Has he never seen the Batman films? Anyone who figured out Bruce Wayne's identity gets killed. So don't yeah. know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the, another episode is uh, we're, we're actually going to. I love the one with the Flash. I love the Flash because it's so obviously unapologetically the Wally West Flash. They yeah. weren't because. You know, Mark Wade said it right. Barry Allen is much more interesting dead than alive. And I know Tom's probably going to say something contra- contradictory to that. I'm going to wait for it. No, Tom. actually, I was going to say that one of the best things to happen to DC was the death of Barry Allen. That oh, yeah. there were, it was like the death of Bucky Barnes. It was an immutable fact that changed the way that you looked at everything in the DC universe. Oh wow! Okay, good, good. I was a yeah, for a second. One, that was fun. I'm I mean, a big Barry fan, but I've learned to love Wally, and Barry went out the way that a hero should go out. 
saving the whole universe. The universe. I, yeah, the I, I actually prefer Barry, but I have to agree. I actually do like the death of Barry. Of Barry, it's um, one of the best stories, and it's regrettable that they tried to copy that with later. You know, like Batman is dead, or Superman is dead, or Hal Jordan is dead. I and, mean, uh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> but if you think nope. about it, they tried to repeat that success, and they just never did it. It like, fell flat. But to me, it was like the shooting of Barbara Gordon, the paralyzing of Barbara Gordon. Oh yeah, that changed things. Barbara Gordon at that point was a victim, but yeah. she was also a victim that didn't stay that way. She found yeah. her own new strengths, and she played upon them, and she became more powerful than ever. Yeah. And it wasn't as physical power. It was, a, it was the power of information. She got struck down and became more powerful than you could ever imagine. <laughs> Barbara Gordon, as Oracle, did a lot more than she could have ever done as Batgirl. Plus, she had gone through and shown she's handicapped, quote-unquote. She's in a wheelchair. No movement from the waist down. And she wasn't helpless. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, and, and actually changing her into Oracle kind of fit with the, with the time period and all that. I mean, the days of Batgirl were over. I mean, Batgirl's from a time when there was just dumb fun. And Oracle was, like, in the new, more serious type of comic. Yes. Yeah. So, and I, I do like Oracle. But um, I don't like any other form of Batgirl except for Barbara Gordon. And See, uh, I, I did like Cassandra Kane, and I do like Stephanie Brown, the current bad girl, because mm. and they made them human, and, and I like the as attitude from them. But yeah, to me, Barbara Gordon is well. Other than Betty Kane, uh oh, Tom, you there? I know. Oh no, we lost him. Okay, Tom, we seem to have lost Tom. We'll get back. <laughs> but. Uh, other episodes that we love is uh, okay. Tom is going to probably reconnect in any, any second now. But other episodes I love are definitely Hand of Fate, where they have Doctor Fate. Uh, how oh, hard yeah. is, it that, is it they have Doctor Fate, an obscure character that's more associated with the Justice Society, come in as a as a guest hero? Yeah, I mean, well, that was when about like let's see, what what season was that? That was like. I believe it was season two. I yeah, think it was season what... two, because in season two they started bringing in other superheroes. Yes. Yeah. And, th yeah, that was, a, I, I remember that being a really good episode. But then again, I'd like any episode where Dr. Fate shows up. I just, I just love how they touch the mysticism, and as, Tom, as uh, Mike Blanchard complained, you know, Mike Blanchard complained about, oh, but, you know, this villain, this villain cut Superman. And it's like, he's magic. <laughs> Magic is yeah. one of Superman's two vulnerabilities. Yeah, it, duh. <laughs> but I, it hadn't really been touched on prior to that, so I can understand why some people would be confused. But they did explain it in the episode, didn't they? Yes, they did. They yeah. explained that it's magic, and you know, it's it's not as much that Superman's vulnerable to magic as he's not invulnerable to it. Yeah, it it it's the whole he's tech, he's basically a representation of technology, and magic is particularly harmful for him. Yes. Yeah. And, but, yeah, it's just so many great episodes. Another episode I liked was, I, overall, I liked how they brought in Steel. Because... Oh, yeah. They brought him first in an episode, Prototype, where it was about the, this inventor, you know, John Henry Irons, creating a suit of power armor for, uh, for police officers to use to have 
power similar to Superman, and they did a very good job of giving these uh, this armor a look very similar to. I don't remember if uh, I don't know if you remember this, but in the nineties, uh, Lex Luthor actually had a team of people in power armor called Team Luthor. I remember that, yeah. And the armor in the series looked very close to that. Okay, yeah, that that's what it was reminding me of. But I actually do like how they brought Steel in on the animated series. I thought it was a really good retell, you know, retelling of Steel's origin without having to go into, you know, the whole Superman died and all that. Yes, it would have been hard to do Death of yeah. Superman. Yeah, death of yeah, death of Superman. That was that was a lot of fun. One of my favorite stories in the '90s of Superman came from the Death of Superman Doomsday story. And it's, oh yeah, I it's, remember, yeah I read that. One of my favorite stories was a side story in there. It's one that was never officially titled, but it's one called by the fans as "The Boy Who Hated Superman." And in this story. There's this kid, this this teenager in high school. Superman's going to this high school to talk to these teenagers about, you know, doing the right thing and all this. And this kid is mocking Superman all the way through it, you know, talking to his friends about, oh, Superman's so lame. He's not as extreme <laughs> as Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner's a badass because he's an asshole. <laughs> and all these things. And basically what happens is Doomsday shows up. He totally trashes this kid's house. His mother's stuck inside the house. The house is collapsing, about to blow up or something like that. And... Superman has to chase Doomsday to stop Doomsday from doing any more damage. Superman actually had an advantage in the fight at that point. Yeah. And Superman gave up that advantage because he's hearing this kid. This kid's crying, screaming, because no one else is there to save his mother except Superman. And he's crying, screaming for Superman to come back and save him and his mother. Yeah. And Superman gave up whatever advantage he had in this fight to do that. Yeah. I I, I think I remember that one. And, you know, when Superman dies, this kid is so guilt-stricken because he bashed Superman so much during this presentation at this high school. He felt so bad about it that he actually took a bus to Metropolis to find someone that knew Superman that he could apologize to. Uh, hi, Tom. Uh, welcome back. I was just talking about the short story in the Death of Superman story in the 90s, my favorite Superman story ever actually called, that's unofficially titled The Boy Who Hates Superman. Terrific story. I'm sorry what they did with the character later on. Uh, well, I, I just recently heard about that, but like I said, well, it was oh, such a did. it was such a great story because, like I was telling everybody else, you know, this kid was ragging on Superman for not being extreme and cool and like Guy Gardner, haha, uh-huh, back then. So, <laughs> so, and then when Superman, you know, when his mother's about to die, who, who who's he's crying to save his mother? It's Superman. Of course, and. You know, that, you know, people who get Superman, that's the story I want them to read. That's the story I want them to read. That is quintessentially what Superman is. And this is the writer from the 90s. This is Dan Jurgens. This is Carl Kessel writing yeah. this story. And, and, and this is the, the, the dreaded 90s that the current writers are bashing so bad. Well, I mean, there were some gems in the 90s, but I mean, for the most part, it wasn't exactly a fun era just because there was like, Way too many number ones and far too many gimmicky things. Like I, I agree, but this story is quintessentially Superman. To me. Oh, no, no, I agree. That is a total Superman story. But, I mean, the the whole Doomsday thing just never really hit. Like, I read it, but it never really hit with me because it was sort of like, 
you knew Superman was going to come back. You knew they weren't going to do this forever. And I, I was, agree. I agree. But yeah. to me, to me, just the execution of that one part, Made that one part was, was it, it connected to me in a way that very few Superman stories did then or since then. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, there are some good things in the 90s like that, but I'm just saying overall, I mean, the 90s were full of like gimmicky stuff that just sort of didn't work. Like the whole comics. Oh, man. (laughs) But I mean, like the whole like super Batman gets gets crippled. Uh, Superman dies and like all the other like gimmicky stuff that happened during the 90s just sort of, I don't know, just sort of made everything feel so cheap. I can understand that. I can definitely understand that. But talking about it, another great moment that's quintessentially Superman in the Superman animated series, Apocalypse Now, Part 2, when Darkseid's forces are retreating off of Earth. You know, mm-hmm. Darkseid decides, as a little screw you to Superman, he's not going to kill Superman. He's going to kill Dan Turpin. The leader, the quote leader, the one who rallied the humans against Darkseid. Yes. Yeah. And in the end, Superman is at Dan Turpin's grave. And they actually had a real rabbi do the uh, do the uh, Jewish uh, rites. Yeah. For that scene. Yeah. And Superman's at Dan Turpin's grave. And he says the memorable, memorable line, the world didn't need a Superman. It needed a brave one. And that's what I mean. That really is. I mean, Superman is the epitome of what a human being can be. He is a hero. He's a superhero. But it's yeah. much more easier to relate with a person. You know, whether it be the kid who hated Superman, mm-hmm. uh, where you can relate with the young boy who, you know, Superman's a boy scout. He's too good to be true. I'm, I'd much rather have the tough guy and then realizes that it's the one who is a hero who sacrifices and puts himself in the line, no matter yeah. what. Dan Turpin, the death of Dan Turpin, he, he was the first one to start really standing up out of human humanity towards this godlike figure, and he paid the ultimate price for it. You can relate to that. Yeah. And Dan Turpin was the soldier. So where people would have a problem relating to Superman, they can relate to the people who look up to and respect the character as well. Well, you can also respect Superman in that he could be a god, but he actually wants to be a human. He wants to gain, you know, keep his humanity. So in a way, you could, you know, even though he is a very, very powerful character, he he wishes to be human, and you yeah. can sort in it's sort of this. You can feel his loneliness. Well, it's also the dichotomy between him and Lex Luthor. Superman has all this power, and he wants to be just one of the guys. Lex Luthor is human, but he wants to have all this power. And it's the opposing forces between the two of them that give him such great personality. Mm -hmm. And in the late Mr. Kent, Superman actually says, you know, I am Clark. I need to be Clark. Yeah. And... uh, well, because you know, he th- he's not like Batman. Batman thinks of himself as Batman. Yeah, he Superman, doesn't ever call himself Bruce. He always calls himself Batman. Right, and and Superman doesn't think of himself as Superman. During my beloved Silver Age, where he was Superman, everything was Superman, and Clark Kent was just the aside. Yeah. Well, in the Silver Age, everything was just ridiculous, and they didn't really get into the secret identities as much. Right. Mainly because... The early 70s, when they did the backup series, series of The Private Life of Clark Kent, where you got to see more of Clark Kent. Oh, yeah. Him. But it was always, I mean, it was 
Clark Kent, who cares? He's the fall guy. He's the joke. He's the mask. Yeah. There were, there were a lot of comics like that, like back then, like when they would do like the Lois Lane comics and, you know, try, I, th- I remember there being a lot of model comics back then. And, yeah. uh, you know, they, they never did Zod, but they did do Jaxer <laughs> and Mala. Yeah. Well, Zod would have been a little too ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before Zod. <laughs> Why does Neil have to come before him? Oh. <laughs> because it's alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they did Jaxer and Mala, and that was actually a pretty good episode. I know a lot of people complained it's not, it's not Zod, but well, well Jaxer was in the comics before Zod was. That's right. That is right, and. You know, I really like the fact that they brought in Jaxer and Mala, and these were two people who were trained soldiers fighting against Superman, and the best Superman could do is outwit them. Yeah. And another thing I love is they actually, I know it was to sell toys. I don't know if they actually made toys for it, but the radiation suit, that just makes sense. Yeah, that does actually make sense. I mean, mm-hmm. if he has to fight. That's, Metallo. That's yeah, Metallo. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna have to have a radiation suit. That that well, makes sense. The fact that they gave him a, a that he couldn't breathe in space like the Silver Age Superman could, where he needed a spacesuit. That stuff made sense. Yeah. 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 But I also like the fact that his rocket wasn't this dinky little thing. He actually took it to Star Labs and they retrofitted it to fit him as an adult human, <laughs> as an as an adult in there. And he actually uses the the his rocket ship to do interstellar things. Oh. Yeah, uh, well, because if you made him the suit, the Silver Age version of Superman, the story it couldn't be as interesting because that was part of the reason they depowered them was Superman could punch suns and he'd be okay. And that brings us to the Sandman saga of the comics, the because <laughs> because what happened was in in the comics, this was what uh, uh, early seventies where yeah, Donnie uh, Donnie, what's his name? Danny, Danny O'Neill. Danny, Danny O'Neill started Danny O'Neil. started the story that where uh, where Superman was get, being t- depowered. What happened was there was this explosion that rendered all the kryptonite on Earth inert, but it also created a sand duplicate of Superman that was slowly draining Superman's powers. <laughs> By the end of the saga, Superman's powers were no longer blowing out suns like candles and juggling planets. He had, <laughs> his powers were were a shadow of what they used to be, but he was still super. And, yeah, and that was the big thing. The Superman of the animated series was not was as uh, lots of people would call class one hundred strength if you go by the old Marvel scale. But who does? <laughs> Apparently, somebody does. Well, you just <laughs> used it. Yeah, there you go. I'm using it as an example for any of our listeners that still use it. Well, is he still <laughs> over nine thousand? I mean, <laughs> I but yeah, it was uh, it was an attempt to depower and make Superman more relatable um, to bring him back to his roots. I mean, because remember the original Superman, the Siegel and Schuster Superman could leap an eighth of a mile. You know, nothing less than a, less than a bursting shell could penetrate oh his skin. Oh my. Oh my. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. And he also had wrestling boots. Yes, he did. Well, he had a wrestling costume. Yeah. It, that was a wrestling costume back then. Yeah. Luchadors still dress like that. <laughs> Luchadors are awesome. <laughs> yes, they are. I saw a luchador once who was dressed like a giant chicken. You know what his name was? The giant el, chicken? El pol- Pollo? Polo Loco! Pollo Loco! Oh, that's crazy. 
awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's yeah they this Superman in the series is definitely not the juggling planets type. This was definitely them trying to use a Superman whose powers are not so infinite, his invulnerability not so great that that he could still be hurt. Well, it takes it back to the John yeah. Byrne reboot, where exactly. Superman. I mean, he had he had to struggle to catch a flying plane, uh, where. Livewire could hurt him with her elect- a strong enough dose, dose of electricity. Yeah. He was not invulnerable. He was nigh invulnerable to borrow a word from the tech. <laughs> and <Sorry. laughs> I, I yeah. love that. I love, I love that it created a little bit of peril for what Superman has to face versus, oh, he's Superman. He's just going to stand there and laugh it off. I, mean, I, used, to, I used to make jokes because I, uh, I had a boss who really loved Superman. I used to make this joke that Superman learned a new power each week, and this week he learned Skittle power, where he can make the rainbow appear and Skittles fall down. No, that's Rainbow Dash. Oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, well, oh, and then didn't Superman at one point get the power to read CDs or something ridiculous like that? Using his x-ray vision and microscopic vision, yes. God. I, it's nothing compared to the hokiest, dumbest of them all, super hypnotism. I love super hypnotism. Where they explain the whole difference between Superman and Clark Kent because his glasses were made from the uh, broken glass of his spaceship and they subconsciously (laughs) amplified his super hypnotism so nobody saw the differences, or so nobody made the correlation between Clark and Superman. And the well, no prize th- answer goes to that person who. Well, to be fair, that you know, it's uh, that sort of thing where the the super identity looks exactly like the normal identity is used everywhere in every culture. I mean, in Sailor Moon, they explain it as magic obscuring the, yeah, the relation something. to to the viewers' faces or something like that. I well, I don't know. It's I well, think- I mean, they they convince people that Chibiusa was the cousin or whatever. Who cares? Let's move the story yeah. along. Also, reader reader needs to know that it's the same person. Exactly. Yeah. And I was thinking some of the some of these powers that you you guys were just talking about kind of they were kind of moving into the Chuck Norris uh, area of ridiculous <laughs> power. I, I just remember there was an episode called The Promethean with this giant robot that absorbs energy with a touch, and it mostly heat. And basically, the story was. Oh, Superman yeah. has to fight this giant robot, and it's during nighttime, and he has very few options. I remember talking to the other fans. This is a great episode, by the way, because it's animated by TMS, and Superman has to use an actual idea that uses real science, because yeah. what it is is using the two chemicals from cold packs to freeze the robot. And what happens is, I was talking to some other fans, and they said, I wish Superman was powerful enough to just pick up the robot and slam it into the ground like where's that would your make sense? an awfully short story yeah that, that's sense? the end of it yeah <laughs> and go this, outside and play kids and this was also an episode that introduced the general general hardcastle that's correct yeah. well and you've got to go back on this episode the Promethean because remember one of the first Fleischer Superman cartoons was Superman battling a mad scientist with <gasps> a giant robot yep I know. I love the old Flash, the uh, Flasher cartoons. As much as I love the uh, DC animated universe, I, you have to admit they put such care and love and style into the original Flasher Superman cartoons. I know they're I just know. so beautiful. It's like you know, it's ro- like some of it's rotoscope, but it doesn't matter. It's yeah, cool. it's good rotoscope though. There's yeah, there's such a thing as good. 
as opposed to filmation rotoscope. Oh well, and, I mean the roll the rolling uh, He Man always gets me every time. It opposed <laughs> to the the Basky rotoscope. Oh. Oh, that's not even rotoscoping. That's just taking that's just taking <laughs> high contrast pictures and yeah, <laughs> photocopying and then painting on top of the putting them on cells and then painting them. Uh, well, you know, he made a movie. He was able to do it on the budget he had. So yeah, yeah. a lot of these episodes, it's uh, they introduced all this. You know, if you have a high enough technology level or use an obscure enough, strange enough energy source, you'd be able to hurt Superman a little bit. Is what they emphasized. And I thought that was a brilliant way to create some create some peril for our Man of Steel here. And yeah, that's but, definitely what they needed to do. Yeah, because normally Superman, I have to admit this, is mostly boring just because he is so strong and like powerful. And there's always just some no prize answer for why he can survive something. Whereas in, I'd say in the animated series, they handle that pretty well. Another episode they did that is totally a Silver Age-esque story was Monkey Fun. Where <laughs> Lois's pet monkey comes Titano. back, <laughs> and Superman has to fight it without hurting it because Lois is like, "Don't hurt him." Although it was missing the one thing that really made Titano great. What? Kryptonite vision. Oh, oh I'm looking at the co- I'm looking at the cover with that on it. <laughs> oh my god! I, I just I just love what they did with the story because it also introduced uh, Lois's father, General Lane. Yeah. Yep. It was such a fun episode. It and also yet, introduced nope, Lois' sis- sister as well. Whenever monkeys, monkeys and Superman get together, it's guaranteed to be a fun, fun time. Are you talking about Beppo the Super Monkey, or are you talking yes! about Red Kryptonite Superman turned into a monkey? Both. Let's go with both. <laughs> I mean, both are ridiculous and stupid. <laughs> Beppo is like. I mean, all the super animals just always get to me. I was, I always liked how they used Krypton. Like, he was sort of jokey in the animated series, but then they'd, like, take him serious, too. Because it was like, oh, yeah, Superman has a dog. Yeah. <laughs> totally cool. Oh, another, another episode that I, that I just loved was the first episode with the parasite. Oh my god. Oh yeah. The scene where the chemicals spill on the parasite before he was the parasite and he looks like he's actually melting screaming. On Rudy Jones, yeah, where Rudy Jones was the schlub. Yeah. Like he wasn't it was basically the origin from the comics where a janitor gets dumped with toxic waste and what happens? He becomes a toxic avenger. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean where you you feel sorry for him. I mean, what's he gonna do? Yeah. he can't yeah. exactly run for the cover of Playboy or Playgirl, can he? Well, he can, but you know, process of elimination. Well, you don't need it, and you don't need it, and you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always liked the episodes with Parasite, um, and I liked how they used him. in... what was the recent animated uh, movie where they used him? All Star Superman. Yeah, I really actually liked. I mean, I always like when Parasite shows up because he's actually a villain that Superman has to really try hard to fight and not touch yeah not touch and so that makes it actually interesting like how is he going to beat this guy because and actually i loved how he beat parasite the first time was he superman actually puts on his radiation suit and he's (laughs) fighting parasite and parasite punches with superman like strength through a vault door a solid lead door trying to grab superman's face and parasite (laughs) grabbed a huge hunk of kryptonite and he absorbs that instead, and that totally shorts him out, and he doesn't remember anything anymore. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> it, they just made it look so horrifying. I think that one. I think that episode had the most. Uh, actually, Unity had the most body horror esque uh, scenes ever, but uh, but uh, that one had yeah. some pretty horrifying scenes of what can be done to the human body, like when Parasite is melting. I know. Rudy Jones is melting. That was horrifying, but the the scene where he grabs the kryptonite and his purple body slowly turns green. I know. It's just creepy. And he's screaming like, you know, this is so horrific, so terrible. And, uh, you know, this brings us into the episode. Although it was not the worst scream in uh, DC Animated Universe history. No. 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 I'm sorry. That has to go to... um, um, I can't think of her name. The uh, director, voice actor, director, um, Andrea, Andrea Romano. Romano yes, yeah. for Tim Drake's laugh in um, Oh Bat- God, and Beyond Return of the Joker. Oh uh, God, yeah, that was just creepy. Or the actor could not. Robin's actor could not get it down, so she did it herself, and that was the creepiest, bone chilling laugh that you've ever heard. I know that was. That was really good. I mean, I didn't think I could be creeped creeped out so much as that. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Happier things. <laughs> yeah, but Parasite brings me to the episode where actually Parasite teams up with Livewire. I love that in the end, Superman shows up wearing, like, a solid plastic sheet covering his whole body. He <laughs> <laughs> laminated. Yeah, he could put him on a badge and sell him at a con. I just love that he did that, and actually now, it, then it would had to be Parasite that had to think. Yeah. Oh, man. Parasite's just always fun. Like, that's why, I mean, like, because what's Superman going to do this time? See, to me, I, I felt the exact opposite. To me, Parasite in the comics was always a low-level villain. Oh, yeah. He had one gimmick for him. Here, you actually felt sorry for Rudy Jones because he didn't ask for this. He didn't want oh, yeah. to become a villain. It was a, it's a necessity for him, and then he got addicted to the power that he absorbed. Oh, yeah, and like that's why I like the animated series, whereas like in the, the comics, it's usually treated like, oh, here's just a gimmick. In the animated series, they actually gave reasons behind some of the villains, and you kind of felt sorry for them. I actually liked Parasite a little bit when he actually teamed up where he actually helped Superman, and the agreement was if he helps Superman, he gets cable TV. That's all he wanted. That was the uh, <laughs> Livewire episode. Where he... no, that well, was yeah. that was actually to a crowd with the, with the crazy scientist that wanted to blow Metropolis. Okay, that was the one where he, where actually Superman teamed up with Maggie Sawyer throughout most of the episode. Yeah, I remember that episode. That was that was pretty funny. All I want is cable TV. And by the way, <laughs> by the way. Maggie Sawyer, they didn't outright say it, but that was her girlfriend with her in uh, in Apocalypse Now Part 2 when she's at, in the hospital. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. But um, you awesome. talk about characters. I, I, I think back to Identity Crisis. Identity Crisis, to me, is one of the most heart-wrenching episodes because you feel sorry for the Superman clone. Bizarro, yes. Who eventually becomes Bizarro. I mean, all he wants to do is, he thinks he's Superman. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to be a hero. And through no twist of his own, he finds just everything going wrong. Yeah. I mean, Bizarro, they they did actually take Bizarro and make him a sympathetic character, which is really amazing. Well, the thing is, they never really make Bizarro evil as much as slightly mentally 
Yeah. Well, right. I, I've always remember I always remember Bizarro as being like a goofy type character, kind of like Missile Plick. He is ha- occasionally shows up, and we're going to have fun. It's going to be yeah. stupid. Uh, Bizarro, me, Bizarro, number one. Yeah. <laughs> I just love I love the way that episode begins, where it's Superman saving Clark Kent, and he's like, "Oh, thanks." Superman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he's so over the top at being a hero. Yeah. 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 I mean, almost to be, have a good day, citizen, type of thing. Yeah. And uh, another episode I loved, uh, Ghost of the Machine brings back Brainiac after his brief alliance with Lex Luthor. In in this episode, Brainiac forces Lex Luthor to build him a new robot body. And throughout this whole episode, there is just so much of... Uh, because Lex Luthor is so used to being in control of everything, all of a sudden Lex Luthor is, you know, forced down to where you know, although he is technically brilliant, he you know he never really worked on machines in quite a few years, and he's forced to do this thing that he would hire schlubs to do, mm-hmm. and he's forced to eat candy bars when he used to when he's used to caviar, and well, that's and what he's used to being the man in charge. Yeah, which to me it's worse because here he instead of being the man in charge, he's the one taking the orders. Yeah, That's he right. never he never likes taking orders, but unfortunately, when Brainiac's around, well. <laughs> Plus, I mean, you have to admit it gave. Uh, it, uh, who would have ever thought that this would have been a jumping-off point to some of the great episodes in the Justice League series? Yeah, yeah. this is this was told. This is totally a. Uh, that was. I, I yeah. don't know if this was ever intended as a checkoff gun. I'm going to say I don't think it was, but I think they looked yeah. back at it and said we could use this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No man, my favorite my favorite Brainiac actually is in Red Sun. Going to the comic book real quick. Uh, have you read that one? That I do not. I Rush do not like Superman. Red Sun. I love Red Sun. Red Sun is awesome. It's like communist Superman. That's and, why I don't like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, I kind of like it because it's like a different take. Like, what if they had gotten Superman? And actually, I like it because Lex Luthor is the hero. I actually like Lex Luthor as a hero. But I really like how Brainiac in that is like to Superman. Dude, totally do not talk to Lex Luthor. He could talk you into suicide in five minutes. Like, I love that line because, like, it really is. Like, Lex, the only reason that Lex Luthor can't beat Brainiac is Brainiac is a higher intelligence than him. Yeah. Otherwise, he could yep. totally destroy him. And I think that's why I like Red Sun, too, is because it has that bit in there. Like, Lex Luthor is really dangerous. He's, he's not powerful on his own, but he's extremely smart. <laughs> He's crafty. Exactly. He's crafty and intelligent. And mm-hmm. so this is a dangerous combination. And he's also just hell-bent on taking over the world. And the only thing stopping him is this alien. Yes. I love how he just always like is like the alien. Because he kind of feels sorry for Lex Luthor in a way. Because it's like this guy has like everything going for him. And Lex Luthor, even though you know he's a capitalist, you kind of feel this feeling of he worked hard to get here. And Superman just does it. And you kind of feel for Lex there because you're like, yeah, that's kind of suck. Well, I mean, I've always I'm, I'm I'm not a big fan of retcons, but I will admit that I like some of the retcons they did with Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. Silver Age Lex Luthor was a boyhood friend of Superboy's, and in trying to create a kryptonite cure, he started a fire in his lab. <laughs> Superboy blows the fire out, spilling some chemicals on Lex Luthor that causes him to lose his hair and swear <laughs> eternal hatred on Superboy. I, I, I remember that. That is so. That is so ridiculous. But in the after Infinite Crisis, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, with the John Byrne reboot, you had more of an understanding of who Lex Luthor is. He was a cold-hearted bastard in the business world, yeah, and had to build himself up. 
Yeah, and I actually do like that. Like, I actually like corporate Luther the best of all the Luthers. I mean, Matt, I have a special place in my heart for mad scientist Luther, but I really love corporate Luther. So, would that make you a Lutheran? Hi, <laughs> <laughs> I have a place in heaven. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, apologize for that joke. I just yeah, no, we know where your okay. place is in the afterlife because of that joke. No. <laughs> Hail Zenu! <laughs> anyway, yes, anyway, Luther is excellent. But let's also go back to another episode. There are two that I love to talk about. One is um, uh, action figures. Is that the one with the return of Metallo, where he actually befriends two kids before? And that Metallo, and actually starts being heroic until the little boy makes a symbol for him as a superhero that looks like an S. Oh, and that triggers the memory. And this was actually another episode where Superman fights Metallo with the lead suit. Yeah. Because he, he, he learned his lesson from the previous yep. time. Yep. And, and he actually grabs a chunk of kryptonite with, the, with his lead glove, rips it out, and throws it into the lava. <laughs> Don't that spread kryptonite ash everywhere? Well, nah, it's, it's a lava it's flow. Krypton, it's immediately invulnerable. Oh, okay, okay. The other is Father's Day. I mean, this is, you never thought you would feel sorry for a character like Calabac, <laughs> the son of Darkseid, who is the eternal whipping boy, and yet he wants to prove himself so badly that he actually goes to Earth under, against orders from his father to try and take out Superman. All thanks to out. this saw, that creepy little worm. Yep. <laughs> and actually, I mean, the... Again, some of the dichotomies they used. They used the abusive father of Darkseid with Calabac as opposed to Jonathan Kent, who was making a visit to Metropolis with Martha for to visit Clark. Oh, yeah. So you see the bad parent, good parent weighed <laughs> against each other and what became of the children because of it. Yeah. That was a, that was a fun episode. I think we ran through at least two-thirds of the episodes individually. I I yeah. think we have. I there think are so have. many episodes that are just so well done. Like I said, I the only one that I think is, you know, Unity. And uh, I, 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 I like the premise of Little Big Head Man, but the uh, actual execution was lacking. See, I feel the same way about Heavy Metal. I, you know, Shaquille O'Neal aside, I like the character of Steel. But it was a poor rendition, and it just really didn't work for me in heavy metal. It was like they were trying to shoehorn in steel as opposed to just a gradual introduction for him. Well, they did, they did introduce, you know, John Henry Irons in prototype, and, but I did like the payoff where, where Steel actually defeats Metallo with Sledgehammer to the chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that, I actually kind of like that episode. Um, there's really no episode I would say was terrible. For the most part, like, they were okay. But, like, it can't, you can't say that about most series. That's, that's true. The, the worst of this episode, like, like I said about Batman, you have to get into Gargoyles to start making comparisons. Oh, God. See, to me, it's the Pixar effect. Even the bad Pixar movies are so far ahead of everybody else. Exactly, exactly. Well, it was just by that point, I think that the, uh, the studio had hit its stride. Like, 
they'd really done a really good job on the animated series, <clears throat> but they definitely were up to writing Superman stories, which are really the hardest kind of superhero stories you can write. Exactly. Because, and and yeah. like I said, it's it's hard to write Batman. It's even hard to ask a Batman writer to write Superman, but they did it. I know, they did it. And it was because they did a nice mix. They kept him not too powerful, but not too weak. And they actually came up with some, like, they actually did some clever things with, like, the villains and such. And, in Superman uh, the motion picture, you can believe a man can fly. In Superman the animated series, you can believe a man can be down to earth. Yes. Yes. And also, I just I think that the uh, the Clark Kent in uh, in the animated series is like what I think of Clark Kent. Like he, he they really got the he's he's this goofy kind of small town kind of guy. But he never. The, I don't think this Superman Clark Kent never really downgraded the Clark persona quite as much as elsewhere because he because he wants to be comfortable as clark he doesn't want to make clark the clown he wants to make clark the average guy oh yeah right it goes back to he is clark kent who happens to be superman exactly. clark yeah. kent is the real guy superman is just the hero yeah and that that's like that was that was a concept i think that had been lost and up to that point because i mean if you think about what was going on in the comics yes clark there was clark kent but they mostly focused on superman whereas here they actually did like bring home that he was deep down Clark Kent. Which and, and by the way, little thing that they did with the animated series, the characters have different outfits. So Clark Kent has a, a gray suit and a blue suit. Yep. Lois Lane has has a purple purple uh, suit and a red suit as well. So they all have they all changed their clothes. <gasps> and Lois Lane actually kept skirts on. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course. Like you, she's you got can good be legs. a female. Yeah, you can be a female and actually wear skirts and shorts. I know. Uh, are you well, listening, Dan Didio? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, it would that that was well. I mean, skirts kind of went out of fashion just because it was part of the I want to look powerful, so I'm going to wear pants. <laughs> Whereas I don't know about you, but a woman in some uh, in a skirt and a long jacket is pretty hot. I I agree. I agree. But oh, yeah. uh, I I really dig that pleated skirt on her. I know it looks <laughs> awesome. I mean, she can wear that, and she looks still looks powerful. And I got it. I got to say, all the other anime movies they did that had Lois in, like Superman Doomsday, that Lois was not very hot. But mm. the only Lois that's hotter than the one from Superman the animated series has to be the Lois from All Star Superman the animated movie. That's the only Lois that's hotter than this Lois. But not as hot as the voice actress. Yeah, Dan Delaney aged. Magnificently well. Well, no, Dana Delaney didn't do All Star Superman. I know, but I'm no. just saying, yeah. Dana Delaney. I'm just saying as an aside. Oh, Dana yeah, she's still gorgeous. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But I think I actually like the animated series uh, Lois Lane the most. You got more of a feeling of personality, and Lois Lane wasn't the helpless damsel in distress of the uh, Golden Age and Silver. Oh yeah. She oh yeah. Was I mean she helped? She did more butt kicking. She was more the Lois Lane of Lois and Clark than. Uh, George Reese's Superman. Yeah. yeah, she she wasn't. Yeah, she was definitely her own person first and foremost. And uh, I think that's uh, I think that's uh, pretty much a great good coverage of the Superman series. Uh, how do you how about you say we wrap this up, guys? So, All right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned next time. Uh, Neil, what do we have planned next week? Um. Well, next week I think we're gonna have that episode of uh, of. Uh, uh, Justice League that uh, we've been kind of putting off. 
Yeah, we'll definitely do just problems. <laughs> yeah, we're so we're going to get the film pigs on Justice League. Yes. Woo-hoo. Yes, and uh, we're also going to have uh, Revenge of the Sexy Girls coming up too. Yes. Yes. Woo-hoo. So, uh, so I am Ben. This is TV's Mr. Neal throwing a cellophane S at you. <laughs> oh, oh God! I've been thinking about that the whole time. <laughs> oh. Yeah. What do you think of that? It's minor inconvenience, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about wrapping it up. Yeah. Oh. And this is Thomas Revore from 910comics910cmx.com. And I'm Kitty Hawk of Sparkling Generation Valkyrie Yuki. Sexy fun at sgvy.com. All right, and good night. Night. Bye. See you in the funny papers.